when you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Hey there, welcome to another episode of From Hostage to Hero. I'm your host, Sari Delamont. Let me begin by saying how thrilled I am to hear from so many of you that you're enjoying the podcasts and um, some of you have said you're binging them. So I apologize for not having an episode last week. Last week was our voir dire studio. Uh, for those of you listening in real time, and um, this being April 2019, we have only two seats left for our last voir dire of the year, which is in September. So if you're interested in coming out and working with me on your nonverbal communication and how to uh, engage jurors, this is your chance, your last chance for the rest of the year. Go to sorrydlm.com and check out that. So it's been interesting going through these limiting beliefs with you. We've started with limiting belief number one and a couple podcasts ago, the idea that there is a right way to do this, this meaning trial. And so today I want to look at limiting belief number two that I see so often, so many of you fall into a similar and yet a little bit different um, thinking pattern. So there's a right way to do this really comes down to the idea of formulas. And if you didn't listen to the podcast from that one, basically what we're saying is that out in the trial world, it's so, people are so desperate to find the winning formula, so to speak, meaning the right way to do this, whether that's the trial by human, you know, brutally honest Nick Rowley thing, or whether it's Keith Mitnick's, you know, don't eat the bruises and putting things in context, or whether it's Rick Friedman's rules of the road, or whether it's reptile, it, it doesn't really matter. It's that everyone is looking for the winning formula. And I get why, because this work is difficult work. And you take a lot of risk to take a, a, a case to trial and not settle it, which is why so many cases are settling. It's just the fear can eat you alive. So if someone is promising you a way to do this and not lose at trial, I can see why you would buy into that and, and, and want something that can guarantee you, if not guarantee you, at least get you super close to the idea that you will never have to lose again. But the, the point is, is that, that it doesn't exist. There is no formula that will help you. Well, I wouldn't say help you. That will guarantee a win at trial. There are a lot of things that will help you. All the things I just mentioned will help you. And I'm not suggesting that they don't help you. But when you buy into a formula that there is one right way to do this, it takes you out of the present moment. It kills your instincts. And those two things, your instincts and the present moment, are what you have going for you. Those are the two things. And we're going to talk about the third thing that really are going to assist you in being a better trial attorney and of course, winning at trial. So here's the limiting belief number two. So if you're not buying into a formula, or even if you are, I also see that so many of you think that you have to be like, insert famous trial attorney here, 
to win. So you have to be like Jerry Spence to win, or you have to be like Nick Rowley to win, or you have to be like Rick Friedman to win. And nothing can be further from the truth. I mean, I've seen hundreds, if not thousands of attorneys filter through my office or through my seminars, and I have seen just about every single trial technique attempted, especially in our studio classes where they go in front of our mock juries. And I will tell you that most of the time, it is an absolute disaster. Now, it's not that the techniques that they're trying, whether it's brutal honesty or, you know, I'm going to share with you my fears and then you share me share with me your fears or whatever the case may be. It's not that those things by themselves are what's wrong. It's that attempting to be someone else will always take you off of your game. And not only will it take you off of your game, it erases that third thing that I was going to talk about, which is your uniqueness and your authenticity, which is the one thing that will help you win at trial. I cannot tell you how often I am continually asking trial attorneys to return to themselves. You know, so much of what this journey is, is a cyclical journey. You go out there, you start in the trial world, and you pick up some things that you've learned and you mimic. And again, there's nothing wrong with mimicking. We all do it when we're first learning. I mimicked my mentor. But it's not until you find your own path and your own style and your own way of being in front of this, yes, hostile group of people, that things really begin to shift. And so when you buy into the idea that the only way to win at trial is to be like the quote unquote greats, that's when you lose your power. I, and I've always said that the one of the best things in the world is, is to watch a Jerry Spence voir dire. And I've also said that one of the worst things in the world is watching someone attempt a Jerry Spence voir dire. Because here's what I don't think many of you recognize. And that is that it's not the technique that wins. It's not the things that they're doing that wins. It's that they're very good. All the greats are very good at one particular thing. They are very, very good at being themselves. They have made it an art form to show up as authentically and real as possible. And that is what translates, my friends. And therefore, what you're attempting to do, if you are in fact attempting to do this, is be them and you're not seeing that that's the exact opposite of why they're winning. They have learned how to be themselves, how to be comfortable in front of the room. In fact, so often when attorneys come through our studios, that's the number one thing that I'm helping them do is to show up as their real deal selves and look and feel comfortable in front of the jury. Because we know that if you are communicating that you're not comfortable up there, that you don't feel you belong up there, that you're scared, that you're worried, all those things, even if you don't say that out loud, non-verbally, you're going to communicate it. And that is what we want to avoid. We want to get you in front of this group of people and showing up in a way that says, I am as comfortable here as I am in my living room. And let me show you around and tell you what this is all about. And 
As you become more comfortable and at ease, you teach your jury how to do the same. I mean, this is so often, or so much what I was saying in the Wadir studio this last weekend is that you set the tone. You have to go first. If we're asking our jurors to be honest with us, we need to be honest with them. If we're asking them to relax and engage in the process, we have to relax and engage in the process first. We show them the way. That is what leadership is. That is what we are attempting to do in front of our jury is lead them. And leadership means going first, going first. You know, after our water studio this weekend, we always have the completion ceremony where everyone says whatever they need to say to feel complete before they leave for the weekend. And one of the attorneys said, I just feel so much better that I can do this. You know, I watch court TV or whatever it is that they're watching. There's a name for it. Um, and I know what it is. I just can't think of it off the top of my head. The things you guys watch where the real trials happen. And I see these attorneys and I think, oh my God, they're so good. I, how do I do that? And now I feel like I can do that. That's what, that, that's absolute success in my mind is that you recognize that there's no formula, there's no uh, person, some big personality that you need to emulate in order to be able to do this. You just fully need to embrace who you are and bring that forward. That's what I want to see. That's what jurors want to see. That's what everyone wants to see. You know, this is why I say that trial work is personal work. It requires that you strip away everything that you use to protect yourself, which is exactly what you would think a person would do when standing in front of an audience that is hostile and wants to attack you for taking them hostage. Um, but you have to strip away all of that and stand there in your glory, your naked glory, not literally, of course, and show up as this real deal person. Now, having said that, I'm not suggesting that it's all about vulnerability. You know, there's so much out there, whether it's psychodrama or TLC or all the different things that are all great things, but that I see tend toward saying, you know, the winning thing here is just vulnerability on its own. Look, the jury wants to know that you are vulnerable and real, yes, but they also want to know that you've got this handled. I mean, this is what I find missing in this work or any other any other field that I'm working in. I primarily now work just with attorneys, but even the corporate world or the educational world, I find that it tends to be out of balance. People say, you know, it's all about being credible and authoritative and leadership and taking charge. Or if you feel the, the pendulum swims, swings the other way and it's all about being vulnerable and real and showing your real self and telling the jury that you're scared and blah, blah, blah. Look, it's a balance, period. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Yes, the jury wants to know that you're real. Yes, they want to see who you actually are, but they absolutely also want to feel like you've got it handled, that you know what you're doing, and that you can speak intelligently about the case and show them what it is they have to do. You don't have to choose. You don't have to choose. And in fact, so often when I'm working with trial attorneys in my office, my job is to bring them in balance. Just this last weekend was a perfect example. We talk a lot about the authoritative nonverbals where palms are down, voice curls down, voice, uh, head does not move, weight over both feet. 
And you want to use authoritative voice pattern and body language when you are sending information. One-way communication, you know, don't question me on this. This is really important. But you want to use approachable nonverbal communication, which is where the palms are up, the head is tilted, and it's bobbing. It creates this rhythmic sounding voice, weighed over to one side, when you're seeking information. And one would think that in in Wadir that it would all be approachable nonverbals, and that's not true. Yes, we're going to use approachable nonverbals when we're inviting the jury to engage with us, but there also has to be a time when they're when you're authoritative. For example, when you tell them why they're there, when you tell them how this works, when you give your first context statement. In my Wadir method, we talk about how you give a statement before you ask questions. And by statement, I don't mean a statement like a speech. I mean like an actual sentence. Like this is a case about a car crash. So let me ask you, how many of you here have ever been in a car crash? So notice what I've done. The first statement has given some context for why I'm asking the question, but I delivered it in my authoritative voice, curls it down. I'm sending information to the jury. But then I switch my voice to approachable when I'm asking them if they themselves have been in a car crash. Now, here's what's important to understand is that everybody has a resting place. I tend to be much more authoritative just naturally. You've probably heard this in other podcasts. If you've been listening to me for a while, I say I'm from Finland. I say I am from Finland. <laughs> I'm 100% Finn. I was born here. I'm first generation, but both my parents are born in Finland. My first language is Finnish and everything in Finnish tends to curl down, even questions. So the voice pattern that I was literally born with is authoritative. And people in Finland tend to have more authoritative body language. It's just the culture there. So that is my resting place. The more south you go in the United States or even in the world, in our Brazil and, and some of the countries down in that area, you will see that the culture starts to change. From Scandinavian cultures tend to be a little more authoritative, where your Latin uh, countries tend to be a little bit more approachable in culture. Same goes for individuals here in the United States. So this is what happened in this last seminar is that we had several people there that were naturally more authoritative. And we had several attorneys there that were naturally more approachable. And with either group, my job over the weekend was to help balance them out. So the attorneys that were naturally approachable obviously did quite well in voir dire because we are in the majority of the time approachable in voir dire. But I had to help them come forward with their authoritative so that they were nice and balanced. Likewise, the highly authoritative attorneys, that's their resting place, they needed to learn how to balance out and be more approachable to get the jurors to talk to them. Again, one isn't right or wrong. It's all about balance. You know, I told a story this weekend about when my dad was in the hospital after suffering a stroke. And how the nurses would come in and we would notice that there were certain nurses that were highly authoritative, absolutely just came in, did their job. And those of us observing, my sister and I and my mom had no question that they knew what they were doing, but they weren't very friendly. They hardly ever talked to my dad. They just kind of did their job and they left. On the flip side, you'd have the other uh, nurses that came in that were highly approachable, really talking to my dad, but we weren't really sure if they knew what the hell they were doing. I mean, they were so focused on joking around with my dad that they would often forget to do things that they came to do and so on and so forth. The best trial attorneys, trial attorneys, the best nurses, and this is true for trial attorneys, were the ones that were a blend. 
So they came in, they did what they needed to do. They were highly issue oriented, highly authoritative. And then they would switch into their approachable persona, talk to my dad, ask him how he was doing, so on and so forth. I mean, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about charisma and showing up as your best self. You know, one of the things that you will tend to do if you, if you don't go over to the side of, Hey, I need to be like famous trial attorney. You go over to the other side, which is, you know, I'm just going to embrace my quote unquote authenticity and never, ever try anything new or try to go outside of the box. And that's the wrong thing to do as well, because here's the thing in terms of like, let's say authoritative and approachable, no one in the universe that I've ever met, and I'm pretty sure this is true, is one or the other. There, I've never met someone who is not authoritative all, at all or not approachable at all. Everyone is a blend. We just all have our resting places. So therefore, there are, are, are times when you're going to have to learn how to bring your, say, approachable persona forward, even though you tend to be more comfortable in your authoritative persona. And yet when I work with some clients, they go, well, this feels inauthentic. It's not inauthentic. It's just uncomfortable. There's a difference. Just because you're not used to bringing forward a part of your personality that yes, absolutely exists doesn't mean it's inauthentic. And in fact, claiming that is just laziness. It's lazy communicating. You must get to the point where you know yourself so well. Again, this is where the personal work comes in and that you know what's available to you. And then you know how to bring it forward at the appropriate time. I mean, that's where magic happens. And by the way, this isn't about scrubbing yourself clean of any perceived flaw. This last weekend, I continued to tell the trial attorneys, listen, doing things perfectly, non-verbally, the things that you're learning and attempting to do personally, because boy, you guys are hard on yourself when you don't get it right, is boring. That is not the point of these non-verbal seminars that I put on for trial attorneys. It's not to scrub you of anything that you're doing, quote unquote, wrong. It's to show you everything that is available to you so that you, with your good instincts, which I try very hard not to work out of you, ha- have the ability to then decide what is correct now. What can I bring forward now? So can you see how going to either side is dangerous? Going to the side of, look, I embrace who I am. I don't try to be the quote unquote greats, but that means that I'm just going to stick with what, how I've been doing things forever because not doing those things, those new things, I'm sorry, doing those new things means I'm not authentic. That's not right. Just as long as, as, um, similarly as saying, you know, I'm going to try to mimic all the greats because they're obviously winning and doing something right. Neither side is correct. It's finding out who you are and expanding, here's the clue, that view of who you are and seeing what's available to you. I mean, this is what's so exciting when I work one-on-one or even in small groups with with all y'all is to see what's available, things that you didn't even know you had inside of you. Bringing that forward, that's when the magic happens. And so I don't want you to fall into one or, or the other ditch, right? There's nothing wrong with, especially when you're new or when a new technique comes out to try it on and see if it works and how it feels, but you've got to eventually come back to yourself. And likewise, coming back to yourself does not mean staying comfortable and doing things the way that you've always done them. It means continually finding 
who you are and how you show up and then and the things that are available to you. Cause I, I've never met someone who's completely known what's available to them on the inside. It's a continual process, probably one that that will evolve until we die. That is the magic of this work that you guys do is that you're constantly, unlike so many other people in the world, given an opportunity to try on these new things. And what I'm suggesting is just take these quote unquote new things that continually float out into the trial consulting market and try them on not as a way to replace your great instincts, but as another tool in your toolbox that you can use in a way that is authentic to you as you continually stretch and grow yourself as a trial attorney. All right, so throw away the limiting belief that you've got to be like such and such famous trial attorney to win. You don't. You have to be the best version of you, which means constantly mining and looking for your strengths, your weaknesses, uh, upping your skills and trying new things. That's really what it takes. And uh, I'm here to help you do that as we go on this journey together. Alrighty. Well, if you are not already listening to my other two podcasts, I invite you to do so. Soundcheck is for speakers of any stripe, where I talk about different types of techniques you can use as a speaker from the stage. And Tap Into Your Power, the Amplified Project podcast is all about the mindset work. I'm, of course, incorporating two, both of those things into this podcast. But if you want something that's a little bit more focused just on those two things, you can check out those podcasts, both on iTunes, Spotify, and something else that I'm not remembering. But wherever you can get podcasts, basically I'm there or on our website at sorrydlm.com. Well, next time we'll take a look at limiting belief number three and continue our journey on releasing you from these things that are holding you back. Uh, Until then, I invite you to find your voice and amplify it. Talk soon. That's it for this episode of From Hostage to Hero. But head to our website, sorrydlm.com, for other must-have resources from Sorry Delamart. Read the transcript of this podcast, watch trial tip videos, or download your free copy of Sorry's article, Why Jurors Hate the Hobby Question. We're glad you joined us today, and until next time, remember that to lead a hostage to freedom, you must first free yourself.